With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Before I get to my next guest, Terry Kaler, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at Squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Terry Kaler. Let me remind you a little bit about Terry's background. He's from Cuero, Texas, which is a small town southeast of San Antonio. Terry graduated with his degree in marketing from Texas A&M. He was the founder and president of Ray Cook Golf back in 1995. In 2011, he became the founder and president of Score Golf, which produced some of the very most innovative wedges and in their V-sold design that the market had ever seen at that time. In 2014, he revitalized the Ben Hogan brand and became their president and CEO. He has multiple golf club patents, nearly 100 iron wedge and putter designs to his credit. He's been known for years as the wedge guy and has written numerous articles and blogs about wedge play. His current creation are Edison wedges, which are simply tremendous, folks. Of the 500 sets made in the first run of the original version, I'm very proud to say, minus stamp number one. And I'm thrilled to have him back with me again today here on Next on the T. Hey, Terry, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, Chris. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Terry, you know how much I loved your original Edison wedges, because after you came on the show and talked about them a while back, you know, I made a beeline to make sure that I got the first set that came out. And I absolutely love them. Now you've come out with version 2.0. How have you improved over the original version? Well, you know, Chris, as you can imagine, I've been focused on wedges for 30 years, and I don't see how I'll ever be completely satisfied that I've done it all. But um, <clears throat> I'm continually looking at the wedges that, that you know, people have in their bags, that people share with me. You know, we get a handful of, of return wedges back to do reworking on or 
we sell everything with a hundred percent risk-free trial. So, you know, we get two out of a hundred people, maybe uh, want a miracle that we couldn't deliver, but um, you know, we have, we have a high stick rate, but what I continue to notice is where recreational golfers, you know, we're not about tour players. The big brands are all about tour players and those guys have skills that we just can't even imagine. And, you know, I talk to people and what they want is, they want to be able to hit that wedge shot, and if they hit it a little high on the face, a little on the toe, they want to get the same distance out of it. So that's kind of my driving force. And from the Edison Forge to the 2.0, which we introduced last week, what we've done is is reshape the back a little bit. We've migrated some additional weight up above the center point of the face, and and we're doing more in the top half of the golf club than anybody. And I find that this continues to improve launch angles spin rates, forgiveness. Um, and so the 2.0 is an enhancement to what we did with the original Edison Forged. Um, uh, we've seen an improvement across the board. Forgiveness went up, spin went up, trajectory launch angles came down. And then we tweaked a little bit on my my Kaler sole that I've been working on for 30 years since I came up with this idea on a trip to St. Andrews back in 1990. I patented that sole design in the early 90s. And we just nuanced little changes in the bounce angles in this this hole. You know, has two bounce angles in the bottom, and we continue to tweak around with that to see if we can find ways to make this even more versatile because it's the most versatile sole out there for a variety of lies and swing paths. So it's just kind of a new and improved version of what we were making. Terry, talk about the sole of the 2.0 version of your wedges and how they allow us to not have to worry about if we're playing the wrong bounce for our game? You know, Chris, in my 30 years in wedges, bounce has got to be the most confusing aspect of wedges. And um, I take really, I take umbrage to the brands that think we can fit bounce. And and I, as people said, you know, we're going to fit bounce to the turf conditions and we're going to fit bounce to your swing path. And they use these terms of digger, slider, whatever. And my question is this, what is your next wedge lie going to look like? And the answer is nobody knows, unless you're playing at Augusta and then you're pretty sure. And and what kind of divot are you going to take on your next wedge shot? And, you know, we're we're amateur recreational golfers, and sometimes we nip it nice and clean, and sometimes we take a little bigger divot than we would like. Um, the tour guys, they vary their divots on purpose. The rest of us vary our divots accidentally. But the key is you don't know what your next divot is. You don't know what your next trip lie is going to look like. Is it going to be on the hard pan over by the cart path? Is it going to be in the fluffy, soft rough? Did it rain last night? So I came up with this concept 30 years ago, over 30 years ago now. So high bounce is good sometime and low bounce is good sometimes. So why don't I put a high bounce and a low bounce in every wedge and, and make that wedge be versatile? And so the the original sole design, and it's been called the dual bounce sole, the V-sole, different trademarks of the companies I've been with. But now finally I said, you know, I'm just going to call it the Kaler sole because it's my invention. But the the front edge, the front quarter to, to three-tenths of an inch of the sole has a very steep bounce. That keeps the leading edge out of the ground. And then the trailing part of the sole has a much lower bounce. But to working together, these two bounce angles are always working together to be Pretty dang good at just about every lie you can possibly imagine. Um, and and you don't have to worry about having the right bounce because if you have a specialized bounce, 
you're going to have the perfect mounts for some shots and you're going to have absolutely the wrong mounts for some other shots. And, you know, your wedges, I mean, like the tour guys, it's going to rain on Augusta apparently this week. These guys are all going to go to the vans and get higher bounce wedges for free when the ground gets soft. Well, the rest of us, we don't get to go to the store and get free wedges when the when it rains or when you have a dry spell or when we're going to a different course. So we need a, a, a sole design that is so versatile, it can handle just about anything that any golf course can throw at us. And that's really what the concept of the Kaler sole has been about since I invented it. And Terry, as we talk about different turf conditions and that sort of thing, we also have to think about sand. As you point out, if it rains, if it's damp, if it's really dry and fluffy, how do your wedges help us get through the sand regardless of those conditions? It, you know, it's the same as dry turf. You're going to hit a, a given shot. And if you walk into a bunker and it's really pretty tight, packed, wet sand, then you're going to you know, hit a shot a certain way. If you walk in that bunker and it's kind of medium texture sand, not too tight, not too fluffy, you know, you're going to adapt to that. And we change how much we lay the club open or how much we don't lay it open. And and I wanted to take, I wanted to take out of your mind thinking about bounce. Just don't think about it. If you have a an Edison wedge in your hand and and you know you don't want to lay the face open, then don't. If you no, you need a little more bounce. You lay the face open a little bit. You can also, you know, the I mean, it's going to work just about anywhere. I've always said, though, the toughest shot, toughest wedge shot there is, is off a really soft sand. And no matter whose wedge you're using, really soft sand doesn't provide the, the resistance to the sole of the golf club to where bounce can really work for you. And, you know, I would say to any of your listeners, if you play a bunkers with really soft sand, you just need to practice a lot more. That's the hardest bunker shot there is, which is why you don't ever see really soft, fluffy sand on the PGA Tour because it's really hard. And they like to see these guys nearly hole out every bunker shot. But, um, you know, you can square this up and nip the ball closer in really wet pack sand. And this club is not going to bounce off of that wet pack sand. But then you can, you know, lay it open in the next bunker, maybe a little softer and fluffier sand. and you lay it open and it's going to work there. Any wedge takes a little getting used to. This this sole design takes less getting used to than any sole out there. And we talk about versatility because, you know, I'll use my golf course as an example. My number seven hole is a par three, about 160. And the left bunker is below the green and it's wet pack sand always. And the right bunker is, you know, you're going to have a downhill shot to that flag and it's much softer, fluffier sand. So you ask me, what's the texture of the bunkers like on my golf course? And I'm going to answer, it's everything. I got every texture imaginable, but I only have three wedges in my bag. So, you know, I think that the versatility is the key to any wedge sole. And everybody else talks about very specialized bounces. And I talk about a versatile sole design that handles anything you throw at it. Terry, a minute ago, you talked about the top part of the face of the wedge. and Talk about the sweet spot that you guys have for the, for your wedges where recreational golfers, we tend to hit it in one area of the face, tour players handle it, you know, hit it in another. Talk about how the profile of the face of your wedge helps us get consistent distance and hit it better. So, and you hit the nail on the head, you know, if you go look at wedges, your listeners look at the wedges you've got in your bag now, the wedges 10 years ago, 15, 20, there's been very little evolution in these golf clubs compared to the other categories. 
and all the weight in the wedge is low in the club head and elite players, uh, tour professionals, elite amateurs have learned you've got to hit the wedge shot down in the second to the fourth groove in order to optimize the performance of that golf club. And when you slide impact up higher in the face, you lose a lot of smash factor, therefore a lot of distance because there's no meat behind that impact. And one of the things I've been pursuing for years and years is to make the upper half of the blade as beefy as possible so that I'm harnessing gear effect, I'm harnessing smash factor, so that that shot hit on the seventh groove, it flies very close to the one hit perfect down on the third groove, because that's what's real for us. You know, ball sitting up in the rough a little bit, or we catch it just a hair heavy and catch that ball higher in the face. You know, we don't play the tightly cropped fairways the tour players do. So amateur golfers routinely are making contact up around the fifth or sixth groove, which looks like the center hit. But on a conventional tour design wedge, that's actually lost about 10 to 12% efficiency in smash factor, which is distance and spin. So I started in the mid-90s with my company, Reed Lockhart. I was saying, what happens if I just thicken up the upper part of the blade? And I've pursued that perpetually through all of the brands of wedges I've designed. Uh, the score wedges of the early 2000s introduced a, a progressive weighting, which we carry forward into the Edisons. Um, and, and everybody in the wedge category has started putting a little more mass in the top of their golf club. You can look at it. You can see it when you look at the new wedges versus the older ones. But I'm pleased to say that none of them are where I was in 1995. And none of them are anywhere close to where the Edison's are. We're 40 to 45% more mass above the fifth groove than any wedge on the market. And that translates to better forgiveness of those high face hits, better smash factor, improved spin because of gear effect. Uh, I'm a real gearhead, and a lot of your listeners are. If, but if you're not a gearhead, play the, one of these, play one of these wedges for three to four weeks, and you're going to find yourself getting away with those high face shots that you used to not get away with. And it made it onto the green instead of plugging in the bunker or the creek. And it made it to that back pin instead of ending up 40 or 50 feet short. And and that's money in the wedge play. Wedge play is all about distance control. So I wanted to build that in. And, you know, nobody talks about forgiveness and wedges, but yet in your listening audience, probably 95% of the golfers out there, they're playing a forgiving iron. They're playing a hybrid because it's more forgiving long iron. They're playing a big mallet putter probably because it's more forgiving than a blade. They're playing a big 460cc driver because they're forgiving, and yet they're trying to play a tour wedge. And, uh, you know, I just go, why is that? Why, why do we force golfers down that path? I, I want to help people hit it closer to the hole more often. Hey, one of the comments from a customer posted on your website, edisonwedges.com, says the new finish is more water repellent than the original. Is that true? And if so, how can that aid in allowing more spin? So, you know, I take, and, you know, the wedge category, a lot of people, all they talk about is grooves and grinds. And we've covered the grind part in the sole. The grooves on the golf club really have two purposes. and and But the main purpose is to channel away moisture and to channel away grass so you can get more adhesion of the ball to the club face. Very similar, almost identical to the purpose of the tread on the on your car tires. If you play, drove a super dry highway all the time, you would run slick tires and have maximum adhesion to the road, but we need tread on our tires because we encounter wet conditions and we need to channel that moisture so we don't hydroplane. 
the wedge, the face of the wedge is the same way. The grooves are there to channel away material or moisture so that we can get adhesion to the face of the golf club. I would tell you on, on our testing in a robot, we made a 54 degree wedge with a totally smooth face and a 54 degree wedge with our production grooves on it, which are pushed to the USGA limit. And we only saw grooves at 15% spin to a dry golf ball. You get 85% of the spin on a totally smooth face on a dry ball. But when you interject moisture or grass, then that, that face with no grooves is totally non-productive. So we put grooves on the face to, to add our coefficient of friction a little bit, but it's mainly to channel away moisture. And I really take offense to people that are make, trying to make a big deal out of their grooves because the USGA has not changed the rules on grooves since 2010. It's 13 years now. We have been regulated by the exact same rules on what we can do on grooves. And there are companies out there saying they're making sharper grooves, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's that's play with words. I mean, you know, we can play with the angle on the grooves and we can technically sharpen that groove. But we're talking, I can maybe add 1% or 2% of spin. Um, and you know, three or four hundred RPMs does not make any difference. That, you know, this spot on the green versus that spot on the green can change the ball performance much more than that. So what we did is use the mass distribution around the club head, and that's where you get more spin from an Edison than anybody else because our gear effect is so pronounced because the mass is high. Back to the finish, we do have these chrome finishes now that are a little slicker than the old chrome finishes. Um, anything we can do to help, we're going to do. But we're talking minuscule advantages. Um, if your grooves are fresh, um, if the chrome is not compromised, you know, that's nuanced changes in spin. I'll be the first to admit it. But that said, we pushed the USGA limit right to the limit and machining techniques and, and tolerances are better than they were 10 years ago. So all of us can make a little better groove now than we could 10 years ago. Terry, you mentioned the term smash factor a moment ago. Talk about what smash factor is for those of us that may not really understand what that means and how that impacts wedge play. So smash factor is a very simple uh, formula that everybody in the club business relies on. And that is, what is the relationship of club head speed to that exiting ball speed? So if I deliver the club head to the ball at 100 miles an hour with a driver, that ball is going to leave that driver at probably 140 to 150 miles an hour, somewhere in the 1.4 to 1.5 smash factor. That's about all we can get out of a driver under the rules of golf. The more loft you add to the golf club, the more that smash factor deteriorates because you've got a glancing blow, which is one of the reasons wedge play is so difficult to master. So I got a 45, 50, 55 degree golf club. That's a very glancing blow to the back of the ball. What we see in wedges on a robot, we can get the smash factor to about 1.8 to 1.9, you know, ball speed to, to club head speed at this perfect impact point of the golf club. Uh, lower in the golf club is where smash factor is typically enhanced. We all know the thin to win. You catch that shot a little thin, it flies further and spins like a maniac. And that's because you've got more of the mass of the club right behind the golf ball. But if anybody looks at their wedges, when you get up into that fifth or sixth groove or even higher, 
there's no meat behind that that golf ball. You know, that club head's only a quarter of an inch thick up there. So smash factor can deteriorate to 0.9, 0.92. You can lose, you know, 12, 15, 18% of your distance by a half an inch miss. So when I talk about smash factor, what I've done with the Edison is I've put actually more mass behind the toe hit, the upper face hit, the heel hit, so that you have an enhanced smash factor. One, I would tell you the best illustration of smash factor is this. Let's think of a standard old hammer, which we perfected 800 years ago on how to drive nails, right? If you take na- pneumatic nail guns out of the equation. And you can take a hammer and drive a nail very efficiently. But if you take that hammer and turn it on its side and, and hammer the nail where the handle goes into the hammer, it's the same hammer, it's the same weight, but now you've moved the mass away from that impact point and that hammer doesn't drive a nail very good, does it? Right. And that's the easiest explanation of smash factor. And it applies to any of the solid golf clubs. We'll leave drivers and the fast faces and all that out of the equation. But in a solid golf club, if that mass is behind where that ball was contacted, that's like the hammer. And that if you look at the Edison wedge, I'm actually a little thicker on a toe miss than I am on a dead center hit because I'm losing efficiency of the club. I'm making up for it by putting more meat behind that impact point. Same with the high face contact. I'm adding more meat behind oomph behind where the ball was actually contacted on the face. So that's the simple explanation of smash factor is like that hammer. It that it, it's not how much club head weighs, it's where was the mass in relation to where the ball was contacted. Terry, the other important thing when we have a wedge in our hand, obviously, is accuracy. Talk about what makes Edison wedges more accurate than pretty much every other set of wedges that we may have sitting in our golf bag right now. Well, you know, accuracy is is a combination of, of a bunch of things. But, you know, did you square the club face? Um, and I, as a golf club maker, I'm, I don't have any influence on that. That's your swing. Did you make clean contact? Did you hit it heavy? Did you hit it thin? Again, that's your swing. I'm a club maker. I can't fix your swing. Driver makers can't fix your swing. That's what golf professionals are for. Um, but but what happens in in contact is there is a center of, of mass. There's a one pinpoint sweet spot in every golf club. That's going to deliver perfect distance, perfect launch condition. What we've tried to do with the Edison is to and every golf club, cavity backs, whatever, is to try to mitigate the fall off from that, that perfect spot. And we've done that with the Edison wedges better than any other wedge because of the unique way our back is designed. There's more mass behind the toe hit. There's more mass behind the high face hit. There's more mass behind the heel hit. And what accuracy in wedges comes down to is what's the distance differential and the ball flight differential between my best shots and my pretty good ones, and then my not so good ones. And my awful ones are going to be awful regardless of what you're playing. But what I'm trying to say is I want to bring a higher percentage of your shots into the, let's call it the sphere of acceptance out there at 90 yards or 100 yards. You know, if I'm within 15, 20 feet of the hole, I'm as good as a tour player. So I want to get more of your shots, you know, inside what your best is capable of. So that's where the forgiveness in wedges is a little different. And, and the last thing you want in a wedge is a hot spot. And that's why I think golfers are making big mistakes by taking their cavity back iron design and, and buying that gap wedge or buying that even that sand wedge 
that that's built like your seven iron because you know that thin face is going to have hot spots and that thin face is going to have less distance consistency than a solid golf club. That's why the tour players all play you know muscle back blade irons because the distance consistency is pinpoint with a muscle back blade and and I've seen it on on robots time and again with a seven iron you know, thin faced golf club, it may throw a 15 or 18 foot circle at 160 yards, but a muscle back blade will throw a six foot circle or a four foot circle. It's about having, you know, on perfect center hits. It's about having mass behind the golf ball. So, you know, it's all about distance control. And whether you hit a gap wedge 88 yards or 120 yards, you want it to go that far, even on your shots that aren't quite perfect. And that's what we've tried to do with the Edison wedges, and and it and it's worked very well. That's what we're doing, getting that distance consistency. Let's talk about gapping. What's the proper wedge gap that we should have in our in our golf bags? I, what I see a lot of my buddies have is the the gap the gapping between their nine iron, their pitching wedge, and then getting into their their gap wedge and and on on up through the lob wedge is all over the map. What should it be, Terry? You know, I think it's, I think four to five degrees is optimum. And I think the stronger you are, the smaller loft gap you want, because what you're trying to keep, keep it into is when, when, regardless of your strength profile, I want more precision at the short end of my set. I don't, you know, if I hit a five iron 25 or 30 feet long or short of the hole, that's a good five iron shot. But a gap wedge shot 25 or 30 feet long or short, that wasn't a very good gap wedge shot. So, you know, as we get closer to the pin, you know, we want more distance precision, which is why this wedge is designed that way. But it's also why you tighten your gapping. I think the whole irons category has gone backwards. You know, everybody's trying to make the longest hitting seven iron so they can win the launch monitor battle in the fitting bay. And what these companies have done is they've moved the seven iron stronger. They left the pitching wedge at 45 and they started putting five degrees between the pitch and the nine and five degrees between the nine and the eight. And then they go down to four and at the three and four iron, five iron, they're they're using two and a half degree gapping. And I think that's exactly backwards. So you have it, you know, from 170 to 200 yards, you have four golf clubs, but from, from 120 yards to 80, you only have three. And that's where you're going to score the golf course. So, if, I mean, if you have access to a launch monitor and I've, I wrote a little booklet years ago called the score method. We can go out on a flat fairway, take your rangefinder and just step it off. I think you want not more than 12 or 14 yards between full swing sandwich, full swing gap wedge, full swing peak love, as I call it. Um, you know, so that you have really good precision down there in prime scoring range. So for me, short hitters can get away with a five degree gapping, medium to longer hitters should not let their gap and get bigger than four degrees. Terry, when we go on your site to build our custom set of wedges, you actually build them with odd number lofts. We're used to seeing even number lofts. Is there a reason why you do the odd numbers? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons for that, Chris. And, and we'll go back in history. When people first started really paying attention, if you go back to the old days, 70s and before, Pitching wedges were 51 or 52 degrees, and sand wedges were 55 or 56, and nobody carried a lob wedge. Um, you know, Tom Watson's miracle chip in at, at Pebble Beach was a 55, 56-degree sand wedge, and that's what they all used. 
as technology started getting into irons, we started cranking the pitching wedges down and we went to 48 degrees, which became a standard for a long time. So 56 degree sand wedges left a big gap. So the 52 degree gap wedge came about. It was pretty standard, 52 degree gap wedge. But then the irons guys kept migrating their loft downward. And so we saw people opting for a 50, 54, 58 gapping. Um, because they got a stronger pitching wedge now, 46 or 47 degrees. We've seen the P Club now stop at about 45, but in Tom Watson's bag in the 70s, that that 40, that uh 45 degree golf club had an eight on the bottom of it. It wasn't and and he didn't pitch the ball with an eight iron, he pitched with his pitching wedge, which was a 50 degree golf club. So uh, you, I think I always call them the P clubs because they could be the number 10 iron, is what they basically are. But um you know, what, what What we saw is the iron market kind of stopped at about 45 degrees. Most of the, the peak clubs are now 45 degrees. And with that being an odd number, I said, you know, we should make our wedges in odd numbers because they blend the modern irons better. I can build you a 49, 53, 57 set. You know, I can build you a 47, you know, 51, 55, 59 set. We tweak our lofts one degree weak. If, if somebody wants even numbers, they think they want a 54. But the other reason for that is our 53 degree, for example, performs more like in distance and trajectory like a 50 or 52 from other people. Because this weight distribution lowers trajectory, it also tends to add a few yards. People tend to find our wedges are two or three yards longer than what they're used to. So that's the other reason behind odd numbers. And the other reason is those companies need to draw attention to themselves, and it's a fun topic to talk about. But there is a rationale behind it. And, Terry, most of us go into a big box store, and we're going to buy our wedges right off the rack. Talk about getting fit for your wedges, because for me, at least, every time I buy something off the rack, I end up hitting the ball all, all over the place, left, right, whatever. Getting your wedges fit for you, to me, seems like the next extension of making sure you're as dialed in as you could possibly be. You know, I'm a huge believer in custom fitting, and I've gone in anonymously and to iron fittings at a number of custom fitters, and it's amazing how little attention is given to wedges. And and you know, I tell golfers this, if you have a set of irons, you know how to play then you want to you want to blend your wedges to those. You want to get a shaft weight that's similar. You know, if you're playing a lightweight steel or graphite irons, the last thing you want is is that off-the-rack wedge with a stiff steel shaft in it. You're going to have a 25, 35, 40-gram disconnect in, right there in prime scoring range. I'm a big believer in graphite and wedges, particularly the KBS products that we rely on, the, the PGI and TGI graphite. I mean, the quality of graphite is so good today. And graphite just inherently has a better feel Um you know, of, of what the club head is doing. When you're around the greens, you're relying on your your feedback to your hands of how far did you take that club head back and how fast you're swinging it to get your distance you want on those touch shots. Graphite just does that better than tubular steel. Just end of story. Um, but I think you definitely want to get your line angles right, get your length right, get that shaft right. And we don't charge extra for length extensions for line adjustments for loft tweaks for building up your grip to get a good fit and the key is you want those clubs to feel good in your hands and you want them you want that what i call a seamless transition from your eight nine and, and p club 
on into your wedges. You want the weight and the balance and the performance to be similar. That said, your wedges, you're doing a lot of things with your wedges that you don't do with your other irons. And if you take a tip from the tour players, most of these guys are playing something equivalent to an X100 shaft and their irons are strong guys. They hit it a long way, but they'll opt down for like an S400 in their wedges. So they play a little softer shaft in their wedges. Gives you a little better feedback around the greens. So we, we recommend the same thing. We offer three weights of steel, three progressive flexes, uh, four weights of graphite, four progressive flexes, so that we can really get that feel in your hands optimized. So when we go to order our wedges on your website, how do we know which one of those, which one of the shafts is the right one for us? I think there are two ways to know it. If you've been custom fitted for your irons, let's work from there. We love talking to customers. We have some good people on the phone. Um, you know, call us and we'll chat with you and find out what's in your irons and help you. We also have a really cool tool called Wedge Fit, and it's called the Wedge Fit Scoring Range Analysis. And if you'll go spend three or four minutes with that, it really guides us into recommending a starting point to get your wedges specced out properly. You know, what shaft you need, what your angles, lengths, you know, grip should be. Um, but again, we encourage anybody to call us. Take Wedge Fit. You're going to get an email back from us. We're also going to when you take wedge fit, we're going to send you a series of emails I pinned, and I call it Wedgeology 101 because I find people are so confused, like we talked about, about bounce and grooves and shafts and custom fitting, smash factor, gear effect. And, and what I know is the more you know about wedge performance, the more you're going to realize what we're doing is the right thing. So we, we take an educational process there, and we do a lot of podcasts like this. I'm a big believer in entertaining um, and educating Maybe it's edutainment, <laughs> but, um, you know, I always want to try to help people understand how wedges work, why they work, why problems, you know, what problems the wedge can fix and what problem you need instruction and practice. My, when I was growing up, Chris, my dad had a great saying. He said, son, there's nothing wrong with your game. Another 5,000 practice balls won't fix, <laughs> <laughs> which I took him to heart. I was a total ranger at, and still am. I love going the range, just hitting golf balls. Terry. You've interviewed more golfers than probably anyone on the planet to get feedback on golf club performance. Has the feedback you've received over the years, has it changed from year to year, decade to decade, or has it stayed pretty constant, let's say, over the last 20 or 30 years? You know, Chris, I would say for the most part, it's it stayed pretty constant. And what I hear from golfers, regardless of handicap, is I hit my wedges too high. I don't get the spin I want, except for the very low single digit guys. Um, my distance consistency is lousy. And a lot of that's built into the golf club, which is why the Edisons look so different. You know, I I was talking to a guy the other day. I said, nobody ever liked the look of new technology in our game. You know, we all played persimmon woods. The metal wood comes out. Nobody looked at it and said, man, that's beautiful. Not when you've got a persimmon wood in your bag. Nobody thought the first cavity back irons looked as good as the classic blades. Nobody thought the ping answer looked as nice as, as the 8802 or a bullseye and those craftsmen, uh, you know, hybrids, weird looking thing, but they work like crazy. Big Bertha, great big Bertha. People laughed at those golf clubs till they hit it. Technology cannot move on our golf clubs without the club looking different. And, you know, thank goodness for all of that technology. We got bags full of big drivers and hybrids and, and game improvement irons and spaceship putters and, and the Edison wedge looks very conventional at address, 
but the back of this golf club looks like nothing you've ever seen, and that's intentional. So, um, you know, I think that that what I hear from golfers are those same three things. My miss has come up short. My ball flight's too high. My distance is inconsistent. And most of that's built into your golf club. But I wrote a blog a while back. It's been one of my most popular. That's why wedge mastery is so elusive. And, you know, what makes wedges hard to hit is because it's a glancing blow. I mentioned that a while ago. You know, you've got 48, 50, 55 degrees aloft. You're, you're hitting that ball with a glancing blow. And I think for anybody, you want to improve your wedge game, just throttle back what you think is a full wedge swing. You know, it's an 80% swing. It's a 75% swing. It lets you stay ahead of the club head. Um, get the shaft right. That will also help you stay ahead of it. But, you know, wedges are not meant to be hit hard. And the harder you hit a wedge, the higher it goes and the shorter it goes, it seems. So, um, you know, but – and if you rely, if you think about it, you take the putter out, you know, you hit your two or three wedges, you know, more than all the other clubs in your back combined, typically, even if you're a tour player. And it would pay everybody just find a way to get better with your wedges, you know, play better wedges, get fitted for your wedges, play Edison's, but and spend time with them. You've got to spend time with your wedges to understand them and make them your best friends. Make them your best friends. Your scores are going to come down dramatically, whether you're trying to break par or break 100. There was a lady at our club, kind of a beginner. She's in there, you know, her, her big number, next number is 100. And she moves the ball, you know, up and down the fairway pretty well. I went and told, showed her how to hit a basic pitch shot. And she grabbed me and as I was coming through the club the other day, she said, my first round under 100 was 89. She wow. took 11 strokes off of her scores because now she, when she's inside 50 or 60 yards, she's going to get down in three shots most of the time. You know, and she's not going to have those total blow-ups where she chunks a couple of wedges and skulls one, and next thing you know, she took six shots from 60 yards. And she said, I didn't do that all day today except one hole, you know. So, um, I mean, there's nothing as gratifying to me as, you know, being inside 60 or 70 yards and just stabbing it to six, eight, ten 10 feet where you got a good chance of making that putt. And boy, everybody's scores will come down if you get good inside 50 or 60 yards. So let's take that a step further, Terry. When when you're playing with a weekend hacker like me, what are some of the mistakes that you see us making consistently in our wedge game? I would say the things I see most is you got a really bad technique. You don't understand how to hit a basic pitch shot. You grip the club too tight. You, you know, people have forward pressed the hands. They won't get their weight over on their left side. They're 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 muddled by fear and frozen by bad bad technique. And these are shots to be very relaxed, soft hands, light grip on the club, so you have great feel. Um, I mean, there's so much good converse, you know, good instruction out there. And I, I wrote this a while back. There is no there, there's no reason why everybody can't have a good grip on the golf club, and there's no reason why everybody can't learn a good posture. If you have a good grip on the club and a good posture, uh, you know, the, the basic swing movement comes a lot easier. But I see golfers all the time on the range, and they're out there trying to practice a horrible technique. And this game is too damn hard if you're doing it right. It's really too hard if you're trying to do it wrong. Um, and if you go look at the LPGA Tour, look at the PGA Tour, 
you don't see a lot of variety in grips and you see even less variety in posture and setup. There is a proper way to stand if you're getting ready to strike a golf ball. There's a one proper way to hold the golf club, whether you're an overlap fan, a 10-figure fan, an interlock fan, your hands are still on the golf club essentially the same way. And, uh, you know, I was just talking to our grip supplier and was talking about, you know, the growing trend that we see and they see the mid-sized grips. And yet I talked to a friend of mine that's been selling golf gloves for 30 years. He said the 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 the, the Scare the disparity from small to medium, large, cadet, whatever. Your size dispersion has not changed anything in the last 30 years. And yet, you know, everybody's migrating to bigger grips. And I, this is, I think, the, the beginning of bad golf because you're going to get the club up in the palm of your hand. And if you're holding the club properly in your fingers, that small grip feels perfect. That standard size grip feels perfect. But it feels small if you're letting the club get up in your palms. And that's just the first step toward mediocre or poor golf is to a bad hold on the golf club. Terry, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing there at Edison Wedges and uh, follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media? So um, our social media is Edison Wedges. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. We have a newsletter. If you go to our website, you take WedgeFit, you're going to be in the know for everything we're doing. Uh, you can also just sign up to get a newsletter, which we're going to try to guide you to go to WedgeFit. It's a great tool, whether you buy our wedges or somebody else's. You know, WedgeFit is a great starting point on kind of what your wedge set makeup ought to look like. I write a blog every week on golfwrx.com as the wedge guy. Um, always listening to people. I have an open email from that blog. People can write me a question. I love it when people send in questions. It gives me, you know, I've been writing a a weekly blog for 20 years, over a thousand articles. And so I'm always looking for what do people really want me to write about? I've got 40 years as a gearhead and 40 years in this industry and a lifetime in golf. I literally do not remember life before golf. And um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking for, for what people want to know. And I'll, I have all this knowledge to share. I have no reason to keep any of it a secret. So, um, you know, and, I don't know anything about wedges that the big companies don't know. Um, I just don't have tour players to cater to, and they do. Terry, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we get to continue to have the privilege of having you share that knowledge with uh, with me and my listeners. You're fantastic, my friend. I appreciate you. you being here. Thank you so much, Chris. And we're going to have some new things coming in the middle of the year on top of what we're already doing. and. Um, you know, but but I encourage your people go go read what we're doing uh, at edisonwedges.com. And I think you'll find it makes a lot of sense. And if you put the club under trial, which we have a risk-free trial program, you know, you're gonna see you're getting away with shots with this wedge. You're seeing ball performance that you have not seen with your historic wedges. And you know, it's all about performance. Every golf club is, and you know, we if they don't help your game, we want them back. We don't want them in your bag if you're not happy, and we don't get very many back. Well, Terry, I look forward to hearing more about what you guys are doing later this year. Come back and share that with us in between now and then. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. We'll do it. Thank you, Chris. See you, Terry. See you. That is the wedge guy, Terry Kaler. And folks, anything you need to know about the wedge game, the equipment, how to hit shots, bounce, smash factor, all of those sorts of things, Terry is the authority on that sort of thing. 
You got to go out there and check out these Edison wedges. I have the 1.0 version. Looking forward to checking out the 2.0 version. Terry's a fantastic guest. Been a great friend for many, many years. There's nobody better than Terry Kaler to trust your wedge game to. Go out online and check out Edison wedges. You're going to be happy you did, and it's really going to improve your short game. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out again to Tom Patrick, Linda Harto, Rick Fair, and Terry Kaler for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are 2019 Charles Schwab Cup champion and Champions Tour Player of the Year that year, Scott McCarran. A two-time winner on the PGA Tour, Paul Stankowski will be back with me, as will top instructor Kevin Roman. And one of the all-time great Major League players, Fred Lynn, will be back as part of the show. Very excited to have those four guys back and part of Next on the Team next week. Folks, you can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And my sincere thanks to those folks for making Next on the T one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and stream your favorite podcast on your favorite device using Good Pods. And most of all, as always, I am so thankful for all of you making Next on the T a part of your golfing content. You are the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.